Welcome to the Early Years Conversations podcast with me, Kate Moxley. Today I am joined by Kelly Hannigan. Really pleased to welcome Kelly to the podcast. Kelly is a mental health and wellbeing consultant at the Education People within Kent County Council. It's wonderful to be recording this podcast with you today. Welcome. Hi, Kate. Thanks for inviting me onto this podcast. I'm, you know, it's a real honour to be here to be having a conversation with you about my most um, valuable conversation, which is wellbeing and mental health in education. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kelly and I had a chat on the phone last week, um, and I think we could have talked all all day. We were on the phone for about an hour talking about all different things. Um, we obviously in a similar line of work and, and very passionate about um, the same things. Um, and so we decided why not come together and record a podcast um, for this early years wellbeing week special um, and to kind of uh, talk about um, all things mental health and wellbeing, um, but with a focus on young people. That's what we're going to be thinking about today. In terms of our podcast, every time we have a new guest, Kelly, we always ask everyone how how are you today? So how are you feeling? Um, I'm currently feeling great because the rain has held off now for today. Um, it's been raining torrentially here um, in the south of England for, for quite some time the last few days. So it's nice to have some bright weather. Um, yeah, feeling really great and, and getting used to this new way of living and working uh, with the current guidelines around the pandemic. Yeah, all new and all change and kind of every day is a different day, isn't it? Um, and, and kind of like you say, we're, we're now in this kind of change of season um, and I feel like I really love autumn. Um, but yet, um, since I've professed my love of autumn, that it hasn't stopped raining. The weather's been dark and grey and miserable. And um, that's hard, that change in season. And I feel a little bit, I keep, um, people keep saying to me, oh, winter's coming. Um, and it's kind of that, you know, prepare preparing for, for kind of what's ahead, preparing um, ourselves and our young people, how to take care of our mental health kind of through the autumn and winter season. Um, but before we get into that, tell me a little bit about you and the work that you do with the education people as a mental health and wellbeing consultant. So yeah, and my work is uh, with the education people is uh, to introduce strategies for wellbeing and mental health within education, but also provide services through the education people for professionals or individuals who may be experiencing symptoms of anxiety or any depletion for their wellbeing and mental health in these current times. So my services are quite wide in the sense of um, the captive audience I'm hoping um, to reach. And what I'm looking to do is really to give people the opportunity to assess where they are emotionally and to give them the toolkits to be able to create the changes that they want to see in their lives. Absolutely. Um, a colleague um, and friend, um, Ali Swift, she's author of a book called My Wellness Toolbox. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, and um, she has shared and we'll be sharing different tools every day and that's one of the things I've really encouraged people to do is to kind of think about what things do we do to shift our mood to um, you know I, I attended some fabulous training um, with a guy called Chris Powell and it was kind of about how when he welcomes children into his classroom um, you know rather than expecting children to conform and just be fine and happy because that's impossible we know as adults and if this year has taught us anything 
big. It's impossible to be um, 100% okay all of the time. He was more, he's more about how can we restart your day? You know, turning up exactly as we are. But, you know, you know, he was saying, you know, we never know really what goes on for people from the moment they leave work or children when they leave our schools and settings. So, you know, how can we restart our day? What can we do? Um, and it is about this kind of, you know, taking control of our health and our well-being and thinking about those different strategies and tools that we need to dip in and out of to be able to lean back on to be able to adapt and, and, and use when we need them most. I think it could be highly valuable to have the opportunity to press pause and reset mental health we all have mental health we know that and we fluctuate along that continuum from time to time moment to moment and I think the most valuable tool that I can offer people today is the opportunity to check in with themselves to see where they are and as educators, we need to start from where people are. There is a lot of talk around, and, and I would sometimes call it scaremongering, around thinking about the depleting mental health of our children who are coming back to school. That's not currently what I'm hearing. I'm hearing the real worrying um, situation is staff wellbeing because of all the demands that are put on educators to keep children safe um, and to think about um, closing the gaps of opportunities and attainment. So I think if we can look after our staff, um, then they are able to effectively look after the wellbeing and mental health of pupils. Absolutely. I'm, I'm hearing similar things that, that suffer feeling stretched. Um, that was a, a way that was described to me earlier today by um, an operations manager. She's feeling absolutely stretched and pulled in all, all sorts of different directions. But uh, you're absolutely you know, right. If we want our children to flourish, our children to thrive, um, then we need to take care of ourselves, don't we? Um, you know, and that's tough at the moment is we can't pour from an empty cup we need to top up our cup of well-being first before we serve others a diet of well-being and and a big central part of that is providing staff with the knowledge to recognize when they are struggling with their emotional health and their physical health and noticing them symptoms and giving them the tools and tips to be able to regulate themselves both physically and emotionally self-care has never been more of a priority as it is now for educators I love that term, a diet of well-being. I've not heard of that before. I really like the way you describe that. Um, yeah, before we can engage in that, we need, um, you know, of thinking of other people. We've got to be kind of thinking about ourselves. So in terms of our young people, uh, you've talked about kind of teachers and, and how they're feeling. Um, I know, you know, for my own daughter, she's in senior school. They've They were back at school for three weeks. And then like many children in the country, actually... Um, in, in her case, quite unusual in that the whole senior school has had to shut down for a circuit break. We've got quite um, strict restrictions here in uh, Solihull um, in the West Midlands. And so the whole school shut down. And she said to me, um, you know, last time we got sent home for two weeks, we were at home for six months. You know, do you think we're going to go back in two weeks? And it's that worry, isn't it? It's that uncertainty, like the ground is really wobbly right now. Um, and none of us are really sure what to expect. I think young people, um, especially if we think of our transition pupils, so our young people who are going from an early year setting 
into um, coming into education for the first time into primary early years primary education and then if we think of our reception children who have come into year one and if we move through our, our uh, key stage one children going into key stage two our primary children going into secondary school and then if we think Beyond that, um, my son is 17 and he's gone from his GCSE year where he didn't have um, didn't have the opportunity to take his GCSE. So he's lost that sense of opportunity and he's now gone into a different setting for sixth form. I think our young people are trying to navigate their way through this real uncertain um, terrain and they're really struggling because they can't see the end point. Just like you said, Kate, the stopping and starting of education has is having a real impact on anxieties. And also for our parents, they may be trying to manage um, uncertainties of their own, financial uncertainties we know that the furlough scheme is ending in a few weeks and what may that look like for parents who have been kept on furlough what are their future opportunities like and and our key workers our children know that we are now heading into phase two or in the midst of phase two of COVID-19 and it may be that our key worker children are starting to remember the thoughts and feelings that they had back in phase one so I think in particular them children the transition children and our key worker children are hugely at risk in terms of their emotional health. Absolutely. And I, I agree with what you're saying there. It do, I've had feelings in the last couple of weeks that remind me of how we it felt at the start of this time. So very much like feeling afraid and, and scared and, oh gosh, we're going back to the beginning again. And like you said, there's no kind of light at the end of the tunnel. And it seemed like there was a bit of light at the end of the tunnel that we were working towards something. And now that's been shut off, we're all in the dark again and, and not sure what to do. Yeah, I think it's that loss of sense of freedom and that affects absolutely everyone. Um, if we think about the way that schools are operating now, they're not mixing like they were. So if we look at the relationship value, and I really do firmly believe that relationships are the foundation for any sustainable wellbeing approach. So our children are not mixing like they were, the staff are not mixing as they were, and there will be a real sense of anxiety. And my heart goes out to the educators who are trying to keep children safe whilst always um, offering the children an irresistible invitation for learning. And I think that's where we need to try to build some social scaffolding around this current new normal, the situation that we're in, and think about the solution-focused approaches that we can offer so that we're not stuck in the doom and gloom of the situation. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we, we've kind of used the word anxiety a few times and, um, you know, People are sometimes a little bit sceptical now um, when we talk um, openly and honestly about mental health because people feel like it's being talked about enough now. It's being talked about everywhere on, on you know, every time you switch on the radio or uh, the television, pick up a paper, you know, everyone from our royal family to celebrities from Love Island, you know, are talking about mental health and some people are a little bit pessimistic about it um however um, as you said earlier we all have mental health and, and what i discover in the work that i do is actually sometimes people even though we widely believe it's being talked about in ways it hasn't before people still think mental health and mental illness mean one and the same thing um, and words like anxiety and depression are sometimes thrown around a lot. Um, and we, and I think sometimes we're now in a space where if someone says, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling anxious or I've got anxiety or someone says depression, sometimes we're still 
um, depending on our experience and knowledge, we're still not further forward in digging a little deeper. So like, what does that mean? Because actually it's, it's quite normal at the moment to be feeling worry, uncertainty and anxiety, isn't it? Um, you know, anxiety is, is a normal human response. Um, so how can we best support our young people who may be feeling, you know, um, more worry and anxiety than, than normal and if we've got less of an understanding because that's the whole point of these series of podcasts for early years well-being week in line with world mental health day it is about understanding things that perhaps we haven't previously so yeah lots of information there I've just <laughs> uh, spat out at you Kelly I don't know if you can decipher a reply from anything yeah, no you... problem at all I think we've got like-minded minds so I've, I've got all of that stored in my brain somewhere so I'm, I'm going to take each section out at a time I think the first um part that I would like to respond to of what you were saying is about normalizing feelings our reactions and responses are a normal reaction to a unnormal situation. So I think we need to try to normalize the thoughts and feelings as much as possible. The time that we should respond and not react, because if we react, what we're doing is we're putting little fires out everywhere, where if we're strategic in our responses and we empower people with their responses, and I'm talking about the young um, people who walk into our lives um, and are there for us to serve them, you know, as I said before, a diet of learning and and couple that with well-being I think we need to help them to understand uh, the plethora of feelings that they may experience each day and we need to teach them about what does mental wealth look like so let's flip the narrative on on poor mental health and think about mental wealth what are they doing when they feel great what is their mind medicine what do they turn to when they're having um, a wobble? Is it good to speak to somebody? Do they need to have time out with the teacher? So they, maybe some bubble time when they think about exploring some of them feelings and unpacking them? Or is it simply that they need to understand that all feelings are okay, so it's okay not to be okay? Because what we don't want to do is we don't want our young people functioning from a space of fear. We want them to function from a space of feeling safe. And part of that is releasing the stigma around talking about mental health. And you spoke earlier um, about mental health being talked about a lot, but is it being actioned as much as it's being talked about? And that's where I think we need to make the real change. We need to action um, our thoughts around the difference between well-being, mental health, mental illness and mental wealth. Absolutely. I was speaking with somebody earlier and they were saying to me that they feel like since Ofsted included well-being within the leadership and management requirements in the education inspection framework, that lots of uh, early years, um, practitioners, educators, um, you know, now feel fearful of the word uh, well-being because people are using the word well-being instead of using the word mental health and um, it's still kind of skirting around that issue and you're absolutely right it's really understanding the difference and also understanding again going back to that wellness toolkit you know what feels good for us and um, what can we rely on but I love the way you describe you know mental wealth and what are we doing when we feel great and noticing that I had a colleague uh, conversation with a colleague and he said um you know he checks in with me from time to time and like just how are you and 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 he was like do you know, I feel really great at the moment and we talked about actually sometimes we don't realize that we're not feeling ourselves until we feel ourselves again so until the joy comes back till the 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 the, the moments of happiness those little sparks of, of 
um, you know, that fire up in us. We, we don't realize they're missing until they come back. And it was a really like, it was a really kind of powerful conversation for both of us, just to, uh, that reminder of, um, and, and I just loved the way you talked about mind medicine. And we all need some mind medicine, don't we? Yes, we do. Um, and I'm working on a project currently um, that's been, it's been delivered uh, through the Department for Education. So it's a project called the Wellbeing for Education Return. And I'm leading that in partnership uh, with other experts, mental health experts within Kent County Council. So my work is uh, predominantly with the education people. And what that framework is, it's been created, co-created by the Anna Freud Centre and MindEd. And they've created some really valuable um, framework and resources that will be delivered in a train-the-trainer approach. Um, and what the hope is, is that information around resilience, around psychological first aid and about whole school approach to wellbeing will then be cascaded through every school community and hit children from the age of five right the way through to 20. And I'm hoping this will give that thread of consistency and also complement all the wonderful things that schools are doing to support and embed a whole school approach for wellbeing. And this is webinars and training that's free for schools. So I really do recommend that schools contact their local boroughs and find out how that funding's being used. Absolutely. That's so helpful. And, you know, a lot of times um, kind of I advocate to people find out locally what's happening in your area, because we know when it comes to um, accessing services, um, you know, it's a postcode lottery, depending on where we live. So sometimes there are national programs that we can take part in, but it's also about knowing locally what's available, what can you access um, and what, what you can access, um, you know, for your students. Um, but, um, you know, you're so right. Just, you know, I, I turned 14 lockdown. I'm from a generation where children should be seen and not heard. We spoke, spoke, speak and less spoken to. Um, and I know I'm not alone in that. There's a whole generation of us that have never been encouraged to think about our emotional intelligence. Um, you know, certainly never mind being emotionally literate. And now all of a sudden we're trying to raise a new generation to have all of those skills. You know, the, the changes in neuroscience and and, you know, neurochemistry and, uh, you know, everything that you've just talked about um, with the work that you're doing and the, um, the, the Anna Freud um, Foundation. And, you know, these are things that we didn't have when we were growing up, but yet we're trying to learn them and teach them. And as well as doing all of the job roles that we already have. So it is relentless sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. I think there's a risk of being overloaded with information. I'm going to be really honest now and say that I feel like the pandemic has created a space where everybody is talking and, and offering support for well-being. But what I think is really valuable is one, to grow from within. So if you are in a school that has professionals who have a particular interest or knowledge around mental health and well-being, look at training up them people. And then just like what you said before, Kate, creating a directory of real high quality resources and toolkits for mental health and well-being within your local area. And then looking at that third space of looking national support so uh, for example support from the education support partnership support from the national children's bureau and the freud center the mentally healthy schools website that should be on 
all teachers desktops because if you're faced with a situation and you don't know how to respond to a young person's needs that's the place to go and help you and create that framework and keep that conversation and creating a safe space for children to explore their thoughts and feelings because what we don't want to do is we don't want to bombard young people with lots of information because what that can do is that can create a sense of need um, and they may be coping okay yeah and a sense of overwhelm you know that's you know that is that is a lot there isn't it I mean it's so interesting talking to you and, and I think there'll be so many useful takeaways for people um, listening to this podcast of different things that they can access um, you know and lots of times you know for free in, in, you know I, I, as you've mentioned and um, I think picking up on that important point around you know there are staff within workplaces who have a real interest with regard to mental health and, and well-being and want to um, you know make a difference in those roles and it's trying to make sure that it's those members of staff that get to access this training and um, because this is where like our skill sets lie. Definitely I think it's all about um, understanding the appropriate language to use with children so often when I'm working and I still work very closely on the ground because I work for the education people but I also work um, as a freelance consultant within my own business so I'm still spending time within schools and connecting with educators I think it's really important for me to keep my feet firmly on the ground but the language that I use with young people and children is when I can see they're struggling I will ask them I will remind them that I've noticed that they felt this before and they've got through this mm. so I'll walk through the physical symptoms of what they're experiencing and then I'll help label them with um the emotional intelligence to be able to identify if they ever experienced them feelings again and label what their thoughts are. But then I give them the power of saying to them, what do you need to feel better? Because so often as educators, we function from a space of wanting to rescue, but what we need to do is empower our young people so it grows resilience. So when they leave, especially primary school setting and they haven't got that wraparound care and that smaller provision, they know that they've got them skills within that they can draw upon to help them regulate their emotions really interesting you say that I think you know as, as caregivers um, educators however you know whatever term we want to use um, we yet yeah, we tend to want to fix don't we solve uh, make things better um, that's something that tends to be you know intrinsically um, wired within us um, and we want to fix other people as well other adults too um, you know but actually it is it's not about fixing you know sometimes we can't um the only way we can make a situation better is, is perhaps by listening and um, you know holding that space um you know because that enables us to be genuine and authentic we might not have all the answers or have all the solutions but um you know i say it's that old uh, saying you know a problem shared is a problem halved and just feeling understood is really important you you also talked earlier about connection you know we're wired for connection you know right from the moment that we're born and at the moment we've probably never been more disconnected as you kind of also said um we're in bubbles we're not in bubbles we're at home we're back at school we're you know it's kind of changing all the time um I read um, a really interesting book um, called Developing um, Empathy in the Early Years by Helen Garnett. And what she was talking about, which is kind of similar to, I feel like I'm, um, it's echoed in what you're saying, is about um, establishing empathy in our pedagogy. So, you know, 
you know, empathy is so important. Um, but in the past, we've always been taught, you know, sympathy. It's a bit like they're there, pat, pat you on the back. But really, it's about, as Breno Brown would say, it's feeling with people, isn't it? And that's kind of what you're advocating here. Yeah, I think simple is a new complex. I think we need to think about just being with people, being in their space of despair. Um, my background is I'm therapeutically trained. So I started off many, many years ago as a therapeutic play specialist. And the most simple tool was to be able to be with someone in their place of distress, but not have to fix that issue. So just give them um, the, the empathic responses that they may need um, and, give them a space to actually stretch and think about what they can do. What do they have control of in what can feel like an uncontrollable situation? And you spoke about us being more disconnected than ever. And I really do believe that although we're socially distancing, it doesn't mean we have to be emotionally distancing. I would have much preferred it if um, the, the same was that we were physically distancing because I think this social distancing is actually confusing us all because it's what it's saying is we can't connect with other people and, and be in relationship with, we're being told to be kept away. And really the risk to us is the physical um, closeness, not the emotional closeness. I love that. I could listen to you talk about this all day. It's so true, isn't it? Our words are so powerful, the language and terminology that we use. Um, it's like lots of people didn't use the word lockdown um, because, again, to, for, for young people to hear lockdown, it sounds so scary. So, you know, choosing the words that, um, you know, that we use, you know, very, very carefully, um, you know, it, it's just so important. And kind of, as you said, we, we need to feel understood. If we feel understood, that's good for our self-esteem which is good for our confidence um all of those things are just absolutely crucial right now yeah and i i really do believe we need to look at the real risks the current risks and and if i think about all my studies and knowledge around brain science and how the brain develops if we think about the developmental milestones that our early years children go through and how many, how much of that is embedded into relationship values or relationship experiences, we could possibly have young children who are missing out on developmental milestones. And if I think about the other end of the scale in terms of our adolescents whose brains are rewiring themselves at the moment, they need their peers and they need that, that sense of self all of that feels to be taken away from our teenagers. They have, they have struggles with what their identity is. They're not able to explore the world in a free space like the rest of us were able to before the coronavirus. So this is a real life-changing experiencing, but experiences. But what can we do to build in and to help with that brain structure whilst we're continuing to keep safe with the guidelines? Absolutely. It's so true. You know, our young people live in a world that's very different to the world that we grew up in. We spoke about this last week um, on the phone, didn't we? You know, when I was a child, I'd go out on my bike, I'd go out all day long and come home, you know, when the streetlights came on. <laughs> I'd, you know, I'd have to ask someone what the time was and I'd quickly cycle home. I'd, having been out all day, um, you know, usually absolutely filthy, some item of clothing missing from my adventures climbing up trees or being in swamps, you know. But my daughter's never experienced the world in that way because times times have changed, times are different. Um, you know, but at the moment, um, you know, I feel like young people 
our adolescents especially they're having a tough time of it they can't go anywhere they can't even breathe without getting into trouble being blamed being responsible for things and you know down to our youngest children all these missed opportunities as you talk about these developmental milestones they they all count don't they and it's the emotional milestones it's the emotional development because there's lots of talk of catching up isn't there um you know when it comes to teaching and learning and attainment and you know academics but it's impossible um you know what you know as we kind of draw to an end what do you think is the most important thing right now to support our young people through this time? I think to see and hear our young people, to be with them, to help reassure them, but to not give false promises. So to let them know that they're in today and let's look at what we can do today to help them feel better, to give them the, uh, the knowledge, the understanding, the empathy for the current situation. And to tell them that it's okay not to be okay. I think that's really, really vital. And to be the role model to young people. So often as educators, we put a mask on our thoughts and our feelings. And I think that is helpful, but it's okay to say to a child, I'm struggling too. It, yes, it feels very overwhelming. And, and you may have some really big feelings that you're carrying and that's perfectly normal. We need to normalize these conversations because this is our normal for now. Absolutely. And, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. As, as teachers, educators, you know, we are the biggest and best role models for our young people. And so, you know, these very real experiences that we're all going through, sharing them in, you know, in a respectful um, way. And, do, you know, I'm not talking about, and, and I, I advocate this in, in the work that I do anyway. And I don't say to practitioners, that doesn't mean you're going to go into the role play with the preschool children, um, you know, and tell them you broke up with your boyfriend at the weekend, because that would be highly inappropriate. However, you would, you could be going in and saying, well, you know, actually, this is Moxie's feeling really exhausted because I've had a really busy weekend moving house or this has happened or, you know, in COVID, in these current times. Now, actually, I'm missing my friends too. But I think what I've taken from your conversation, our conversation today and what you're saying is, it's kind of rewriting the script it's kind of flipping the narrative a little bit so you know um rather than you know thinking about our mental health in negative terms it's you know what is my mental wealth and you know as i'll really take that away you know what am i doing when i feel good you know i've got the power to to change the script here i can still and I think that's why it's important to stress that message, as you said, it is okay to not be okay. And we need to be able to show up exactly as we are without the perfect mask on being 100% feeling wonderful, because then we can say it's okay to, to be feeling that way. But these are the things that we can do about it. Um, you know, that mind medicine that you talk about, um, you know, thinking about those different things that kind of protect and enable us to take care of ourselves. Yeah, looking at them protective factors and building helpful habits into our lives and sharing that with the children so diet exercise reaching out connecting with people in a disconnected world there's lots of creative ways to connect using toys to demonstrate struggle and challenge so you could get two characters and and use them as role play use drawing ask a child to show you how they're feeling on a piece of paper and the world that they invite you into is definitely a deeper experience than when you ask them to explain how they're feeling 
Oh, definitely. So wonderful to speak with you. And, you know, I could chat with you all day. Um, if, if people want to find out more about the work that you're doing, Kelly, where can they find you and follow you for more information? Thanks, Kate. They can find um, my work and I have lots of webinars um, available to, for teachers uh, to help with their own mental health and wellbeing, but also for the pupils as well at www.theeducationpeople.org. You can also find them on Twitter at The Ed People and you can find lots of tools and tips and work on my Twitter page, which is at MindWorkMatters. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for talking with us today. And I, I follow you on Twitter and, and uh, you know, some of the things that you post really make me think. And I know that people will find them helpful and useful too. So thank you for your time today, Kelly. Thank you for inviting me on. Thank you. Thank you.